Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, August 12th, 2018, Pastor Bob Wade gives the vision of Highlands Church as we look towards the future in his sermon titled 2020 Vision. Enjoy! This morning, we're going to talk about where we're going. Not just for the next year, but really for a while. There are four things we're actually going to get into this morning. I just want to upfront tell you those, and then we're going to go back and we're going to talk about those. We're going to talk about being in the Word as a church, how important that is. And we'll give you some examples even of how easy it is to get off, you know, track and and follow some wrong things if you're not in the Scriptures. And then we're going to talk about discipleship. And we're going to talk about discipleship being more than just a byproduct of you showing up, that it needs to be intentional in your life, and we're going to challenge you with that. We're going to talk about apologetics, You're going, well, wait, what do you have to apologize for? Well, we'll make sure that you understand that one in a minute, okay? And then we're going to talk about our attitudes. We're going to talk about the attitude of kindness. Before we do that, though, would you just join me in prayer as we make sure that our hearts are right before the Lord? Father, Lord, we thank you for an amazing morning of worship. We thank you so much that we've, Lord, I personally feel like I, I really Feel your presence in a powerful way. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us this morning. Allow us to see what you want from us personally and corporately. And Lord, we'll give you the praise for all of it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, first and foremost, I want to let you know that we as a church are really committed to being in the Scriptures, to teaching through the Scriptures. And that's because Highlands Church is a Bible-teaching church. We believe that it's our job to teach you God's word. Now, let me tell you what that doesn't do then. That doesn't room or open the door up for me to teach you my opinion. That doesn't open the door up for me to give you my political view. If our job is to teach you God's word, we have to keep out of it personally. We have to make sure there's no pop psychology in all of this. We can't skip the tough sections. We have to go through it verse by verse. Now, why is being in the word such a big deal. Well, it's the only safe and sure way that you're ever going to hear from God. You know, so many people today are looking for a way that they can just hear what God wants for their life. And so people will unbearably go to some website and pull up their horoscope. You're not going to hear from God on a horoscope. You're not going to hear the Lord's voice speak to you as you go through a tarot card thing. You need to be in the Word. Because see, it's being in the Word, it's being in the Bible where we find peace and hope. It's in the Scriptures that I'm going to figure out how to fix a broken life and restore a broken heart and find a purpose for my life. Studying through the Scriptures is going to help us find spiritual vitality because it's going to build me up as a person, as a leader. It will challenge me. It's a plumb line for truth. In other words, when I don't know which way to go, if I follow the scriptures, it takes me on a path that leads me directly to where God wants me to be. Listen to what the Bible says about itself. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, on the board up here, it says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. In other words, every single bit of the study that we will do is profitable. Psalm 119, verse 5, or 105. 
Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Imagine that, that you would have something. I mean, I don't know if you're like me, but on occasion I have to get up into the middle of the night and go into the little boy's room, you know? And invariably, you know, I, I stub my toe. I, you know, I hit things until you can get it like memorized with your eyes closed, you know? You, but God's word lights everything up. It makes it so I don't stumble. Romans 10 Verse 17 tells us, that so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So in other words, just by being in a study in this book, God is gonna build your faith up. Proverbs, or excuse me, John 17, 17 says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. If you're wondering, if you've been out there going, you know, I just wish I knew the truth. Well, then be in the study of the scriptures because God's word is true. Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. In other words, if I will just sit down and decide that I'm gonna be in the book, God is gonna give me understanding beyond my own abilities. Isaiah 55, verse 11. And so shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing which I sent it. In other words, God's word is never fruitless. It, it has a zero failure rate. It always accomplishes what God wants it to accomplish. Now, one of the most important reasons, though, that we study the Bible comes down to a little something that called a biblical world view. You ever heard that term? A biblical worldview. A worldview is basically how you see and understand life. And the truth is, there are just about as many worldviews in life as there are people. Because you'll hear people say things like, well, you know what, here's how I kind of see it. And we live in America. You know, you can, you can do that. But the more that you get into the teaching of the scriptures, you know what you begin to realize? That statement, well, here's how I kind of see it, does not matter. What matters is, how does God see it? Because see, you can't save yourself. You can't even forgive yourself. You can't give yourself a purpose. You cannot find joy on your own. Your worldview matters. Now, worldviews can be accomplished by simply you know, answering four simple questions. How you answer four simple questions will tell you exactly what your worldview. And by the way, if you're not in the word, your worldview is gonna be subject to what you hear on the nightly news, what you read, all those different things like that, instead of being a worldview that's centered in on what God would have you to, to read. For example, question number one, where did I come from? Well, if you follow the path that many in our society would follow, you'd say, well, I kinda of think that maybe, you know, we evolved. Well, let me just give you the consequences of holding a worldview like that. If you say that we evolved, then you're effectively removing God from creation. That means that every time Jesus quoted Genesis 1 through 11, which he did multiple times, those statements would be worthless. Which means that Jesus believed something that was a complete fallacy. Which means that Jesus is not all-knowing. And if he's not all-knowing, that means he's not God. And if he's not God, that means the entire Bible is wrong. See how fast that happens? And yet, if I'm in the scriptures, 
You know what I realized right from the very beginning? Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 declares from the beginning, okay, that he created them, he formed them in his image, that God is the one that gave life, that God is the one that created you different than any other species there is because you're created in his image, that he alone has the power to give life, and as a result of that, all of life matters. And so my perspective by being in the word is completely different. Second question is, what is my purpose? Again, I'll use the same argument. If you start from the perspective that evolution is real, do you realize there really then is no difference than you and the animals out there? That our sole purpose in life is genetically is to survive and to pass on your DNA. Now, let me tell you what the negative ramification of that is. That makes racism and genocide okay. If your sole purpose is just to survive and pass on your DNA, it doesn't matter about anybody else. You get that? But if you're in the scriptures, you realize that Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God appointed beforehand that we should walk in them. We realize that God gave us a purpose, that every single human life has value and worth because we're created in the image of God with a purpose in this life. Third question, why is the world so messed up? Well, the world will answer you know, usually, you know, politically, you'll answer with all sorts of different things like, well, wealth needs to be more equally distributed and, you know, we need more jobs and, boy, everything would be better if we were just educated. That's not what the Bible tells us. You know why the Bible tells us why the world's so messed up? Because we're sinners. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Listen, this, this is not rocket science. You know what morally broken people do? Morally wrong things. And so the shock of somebody walking into a school with a gun, you know, I mean, it's, it's a horrible, evil, vile thing, but you know what? It doesn't surprise me. You know why? Because there's a lot of morally broken, evil people out there. If I'm not in the word, I don't get that. I start buying that the answer is, well, if we just educated them differently earlier. The fourth question, is there any hope? You know what the scriptures tell me in Romans chapter five, verses one and two, that, that in Christ, I not only have peace with God, but I stand in his grace. See, knowing the whole counsel of God matters. I will see life differently, and so as a church, We are committed to teaching through the scriptures because the primary thing we want you to have is God's point of view on life. We want you to look at things and see it how the Lord sees it. Because I'll have a different sign of peace. I'll have hope for the future. By the way, those four questions that I just mentioned there, those are all gonna be answered in the first two chapters of our new study in in 1 John. Now what's the do here for you? Well, the do here is we need you to be here more often than every third Sunday. See, you can't really get established in God's word if you miss weeks at a time. Because you know what you're happening? As we're going verse by verse through and we're building a case through the scriptures, looking at the etymology of a word and how it fits and all those things like that together, and then you stop and you miss a couple of those things, you're lost. You're back behind things, and we want you to be here. 
So we want you to make Sunday mornings and our time of worship, which by the way was amazing this morning, and, then, and, and time in the Word, we want that to be a priority for you. Now the second part of our vision has to do with intentional discipleship. Discipleship is growing into a fully committed follower of Christ, not just someone who says with their words, yeah, I follow Christ. But if I look at your life, then I would say, really? A disciple is one that doesn't question, that lives in obedience to the Lord. A disciple is one who looks at every area of their life and submits it to the Lord, even their wallet. It's such a big deal today. God wants every part of your life. Tithing should not be an issue. The gospel, the gospel should be a relevant story in our life. Like we wanna share that with people. It's the good news. It's where new life comes from and hope comes from. That that servant opportunities open up and we need somebody to do this or this here. That it's not something, it's well that's, that's for somebody else that we all think as servants think, that we're committing to doing what God wants us to do. See, our hope is, has always been that as a church, that our people would grow and be faithful and discipleship would just happen. The thing is though, is discipleship should be more than just a happy byproduct of coming to church. It should be intentional. Hoping it will happen lacks the intentionality of Jesus' words. Let me show you something. Matthew, chapter 28. If you've got a Bible, open it up to Matthew 28. If not, we'll put it on the screen here. Matthew, chapter 28. Look at verses 19 and 20. Now, I want you to get the, the force here, what Jesus is really saying. Verse 19 Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> teaching them to observe all that I command, that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, Jesus does not stop at the beginning of this and say, morph, become. The command here is go and do this. It's not simply enough that we would go, you know, yeah, I think, (coughs) excuse me, that discipleship is a good thing. We're called to go and do this. And it's more than you just agreeing, going, yep, I agree, we're called to go do this. Francis Chan, I thought, did a great thing on this, and I want to show you this quick little clip here. Just watch the screens. When I was a kid, we used to play this game called Simon Says. Right? Most of us have played that, unless you're really young, because there's no app for it. It, it, Simon Says is, uh, you know, you just, Simon Says, pat your head, you know, so okay, you know, Simon said it. Um, It's just, it was a very simple game, but it's so weird how in the church, Jesus Says is a totally different game. If Jesus says something, you don't have to do it, you just have to memorize it. You, 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 you study it, you memorize You guys, it, it doesn't make any sense. A lot of the things we do, when he tells us to go out and make disciples, and how many people in the, our churches are actually making disciples? But they memorized it. You know, when I tell my daughter, hey, hey Rach, go clean your room, 
She doesn't come back to me two hours later and go, I memorized what you said. You said, Rach, go clean your room. I can say it in Greek. <laughs> my friends are going to come over and we're going to have a study on what it would look like if I cleaned my room. She knows better than that. And so why do we think we're gonna come before the judge one day and quote everything that he said and talk about how much we know? It's just, it's just this black and white stuff. If I just started with scripture, I'd go, here's what I would do. I would start making disciples. Our goal here is clear. If you're new to faith or you're young in your faith or you just haven't had that growth spurt in your life where you've really taken off and grown, you need to be discipled. And we have a plan for you. If you've been a believer for a while and you can honestly say that you know and you love God and you, you live in obedience and you've been faithful and you're a good steward, we need to equip you so that you could become a disciple maker. And the question is, how do we do all that? Well, Mark Ewell, our pastor of discipleship, has been working with a team of people to develop materials and a plan to equip disciple makers to make disciples who will be able to make disciples. That's what the scriptures tell us to do. 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 says, entrust to faithful people who will be able to, to build into those and, and make them capable of making more faithful people. And so what we really want is we want every single person in the church, and I'm gonna ask you to do this right now, you're gonna make a decision about who you are right now. I brought a coin with me. It's a 25 cent piece from a mission trip in, in Spain. This coin here, oh thank you. This coin here, has a heads and a tails on it, two sides. I could flip it a million times, it will never land standing up like this. It will always go one way or the other. This sort of represents you in discipleship. On one side of the coin, you know, you either need to be discipled, or the other side of the coin is, you need to be making disciples. I, don't, I hope nobody got lost on that one. One side of the coin, you either need to be discipled or the other side of the coin is you need to be making disciples. You're capable of making disciples. It's one or the other. Every believer in Christ fits in there. Making disciples, like, like Francis Chan talked about, is really not optional. Jesus told his followers, go do this. It's an issue of obedience or disobedience. And so I want you to understand something. Our goal, our goal is to have a thousand people in a discipleship relationship by the year 2020, the end of it, by the end of the year 2020. That's a big goal. That's gonna require that people buy in. Now to do that, if you need to be making disciples, if you were to examine your own life and say, you know what, I've been a believer for a while, I've walked faithfully with the Lord, it's time for me to step forward and really begin to build into someone else's life, 
I want you to know that we're gonna have a table that's gonna be back in the lobby that's set up really for a, a place where people that are saying, look, I could make disciples. We want you to go there because we wanna help figure out you know, a way for you to get equipped. We wanna give you all the tools to show you exactly what we want you to do. I mean, we're not leaving you alone to start from the very beginning on this. We wanna help you so that you'd be equipped to be able to speak into someone else's life and create that discipleship experience and to grow somebody up. We want to equip you. But if you evaluate your life and you go, look, I'm not ready for that yet. I mean, I'm, I want to be. I mean, I'm, I'm open to that idea, but I really feel like I need to be discipled right now. The do for you is different. Now the do for you is get involved in a life group because that's your step towards discipleship. Because it's getting involved in that leadership, uh, uh, small group that's going to help you, you know, get fellowship and get the connection that you need to grow. There's a third part of our vision, and that is something called conversational apologetics. Now, apologetics is not, hey, I feel really bad about this and I'm really sorry. Because it sounds like somebody's apologizing for somebody. But the best example I can think of in apologetics comes from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. That's the best definition I could find. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says these words. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, and yet to do it with gentleness and respect. That's apologetics. It's being able to talk to others about the Lord. Now, let me give you nine reasons why this is pretty important stuff. Why we want to be into conversational apologetics. Number one, we need to be individually, we need to be ready to make a defense for our faith because God told us to do that. That's exactly what you read there in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. As a body, we need to learn to be able to answer the hard questions, the difficult questions, the ones that, 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 that are people that are asking out there. As a group of believers, we need to engage those people that are outside of the faith, outside of the church, and be able to, to have conversations that will ultimately lead to the gospel. There's a second reason. is because if I begin to learn these things, it will help me grow personally. Third reason, it will make sharing my faith easier. So many believers today struggle to share their faith for one chief reason. It's because we're afraid if we get into a conversation and someone asks asks us a question, we can't answer it. And because that's a little bit embarrassing, we don't even start. So why not get prepared for that? The fifth reason is because it'll open up more conversations. The sixth reason, because it helps stop false teachings. Because as you're going through, you'll start realizing that doesn't make any sense. Seventh reason, because it will outline moral boundaries. Eighth reason is because it'll help identify cults. The ninth reason, because it builds confidence in us and our kids. And by the way, our students are going to be doing this as well. I mean, think about how many kids go off to college and they've had this really wonderful experience. They've been in a church and they've learned about Jesus and then they go off to college someplace and some prof says, well, I don't believe in that and I think you're a fool if you do and their faith is just whacked. How do we prepare them? We need to begin to preparing people to answer the questions 
that the world is asking. Do you know who George Barna is? Barna is a, is a church and society researcher who just loves the Lord. It's so interesting because Barna said the single greatest area churches are failing in is helping their people learn how to answer the world's questions. That's pretty powerful. Questions that seem to stump others and many times even stump us as believers. I can't tell you how many times I've had a conversation with somebody and, and something's popped up and, and someone has just said, you know, I, I kind of struggle with that too. I just don't know if I understand the reasons for that. Well, then why wouldn't we start looking into that and figuring out exactly what it is that God is saying about that? Paul modeled this very thing on Acts chapter 17 in Mars Hill. Now, I want to be clear here. We're not asking you to become an expert. We're asking you to learn enough to give a reasonable explanation for your faith. That's what we're called to do. In 2 Timothy, Paul writes in in chapter 2, verse 15, study to show yourself approved as a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed. The do here then The do here for us as a church, for each individual, is we want you to consider signing up for a conversational apologetics class. Pastor Ed Lutz has been working really hard on this, preparing himself for this, and a group of people around him to present these classes. We're going to have a couple of two and three week teasers, and then we're going to have a a longer class that's going to come through Highlands Bible Institute. In fact, would you put the schedule up there of the classes? Do we have... Maybe I asked for something I didn't prepare for (laughs) on that one. I probably did. You know what? You can look in your bulletin. You can find that in your bulletin. But I want you to know something. There are a couple of teaser classes that are two and three classes that will begin in October. Please, please sign up for that. Again, the goal is to equip you to talk with those outside of the church and to be able to share your faith confidently. Now, there's a fourth part of our vision, and that is kindness. This is all about our attitude. In fact, I want you to go, would you do me a favor, would you go back to 1 Peter chapter three for a second and look at verse 15 one more time? 1 Peter chapter three, verse 15. I wanna make sure that you catch the second part of this. Okay, because the first part is solely on on the, the apologetic side. He says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Now, here's the part I want you to catch. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. We don't want to miss that without, with gentleness and respect, because without gentleness and respect... Winning an argument is like winning a battle but losing a war. That's not who we want to be. The true war that's going on out there with our families and our neighborhoods and and our workplaces has to do with the souls of people that are created in the image of God, not whether I can best somebody in an argument. That's not what we're asking you to do. See, it doesn't matter, for example, if you can prove something from the scriptures if we do it in a rude and disrespectful way. Ultimately, the person may be turned farther away from Christ simply because of our attitude. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, he reminds us to speak the truth in love. 
Folks, as Christians, for us to be successful, we have to learn to speak the truth in love. So that if even if somebody disagrees with us, that they would be able to walk away and go, you know, I, I don't know if I agree with those people, but those are the nicest people in the world and I really enjoy having a conversation with them. I want that to be us. Kindness can be shown in how we answer something. Kindness can be shown in how we disagree. Kindness can be shown in, in how we confront I mean, this is a huge part of what God wants from us in our lives. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, when it talks about the fruits of the Spirit, you know, it says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and it keeps going, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no defense. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, tells us that we ought to put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. He's not saying, you know, I want you to roll over and let people roll over you. You, We ought to know the answers and we ought to be able to be prepared to give the answers, but to do it in such a way that our, our spirits are winsome even to a lost world. Job chapter six, verse 14 tells us this, that he who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. I mean, this is something God truly expects us to do. In fact, let me show you just how important it is to have the right attitude. Take your Bibles and go over to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13 is commonly called the love chapter, right? I want you to read the first, we're gonna read through the first four verses here. And I want you to see how he prefaces all of this. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. Paul writes and he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels. Now stop, look up for a second. Let me just be really clear here too. Every single time that you see an angel speaking in the scriptures, it's always a human language. Just make sure you get that, okay? If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but had not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. This is the way we're supposed to go about our business, folks. This is how we're supposed to be known. You know what kindness looks like? We have a blood mobile here this morning that many people are giving the gift of blood for people that, that need that. Kindness is people out there giving blood. It's helping out by, by going down with a group of people to the rescue mission this week. It's gathering with a group of people, maybe your small group, and, and coming together for Feed My Starving Children to pack meals for kids around the world that are hungry. That's Kindness. It's going to to Mexico or Haiti and going to places where people need legitimate help with groups of people and being able to go there on our dime and loving them. That's kindness. And so the do here should not be that difficult for us. But this do is going to have a big challenge to it. I want to challenge you 
I want to challenge us, our church, to do a million acts of kindness this coming year. You know what that looks like? That looks like a thousand of us. And there are well over that right now. That looks like a thousand of us doing three acts of kindness a day. And I'm not talking about hugely big things. Do you realize that just somebody can send me a simple email that just says, hey, I really appreciated your words. What an act of kindness that is. It's stopping and seeing your neighbor coming home and just been at the market and you jump outside and you go out and help them carry something in. It's, it's holding a door for somebody. It's saying something kind to somebody. It's building somebody up. Acts of kindness are not that hard to come by and yet they're incredibly observable. People will notice that. And so here's what we want. Here's what I'm asking for from you. I want us to be people of the word. I believe that we need to be grounded in God's word and to do that you need to be here on Sundays and so we're asking you to prioritize this moment. Secondly, we need you to figure out what side of that coin of discipleship you're on because everybody's on one side or the other. And you know what, if you need to be discipled, start off by signing up and getting involved in a life group. If you need to be making disciples, then you need to go to that table in the lobby and tell them, look, I've been saying look, no long enough, I'm ready, equip me, prepare me to do what I need to do to make disciples. Because it's intentional. It's what God told us to do. Thirdly, we're asking you to sign up for one of our classes there about conversational apologetics, not so that you'll become an expert, so that you'll be ready to have conversations with those that are outside of the faith, outside of the church, that just lead to the gospel. And fourthly, we're asking you to focus on being kind to others so that our spirits never overshadow God's message. But his message of grace and hope and truth always lead the way. We're asking you to buy in. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning, we pray that we pray that we would be open to doing exactly what you want us to do, God that we would see that it's not enough for us just to to show up and sit here, but that you're calling us to so much more. You're calling us to a level of faithfulness. You're calling us to an intentionality of building our lives and building into other believers. You're calling us to prepare ourselves to reach a world, and you're calling us to do it in such a way, God, that it's just so wooing and so winsome that you can use that spirit inside of us to affect others. God, would you move in our people? Would you move in my heart to do what it is that pleases you, Lord? Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.